ready to go. Jonah, chapter 2. I hope I've whetted your appetite for uh, going further into this wonderful, remarkable, disturbing part of Scripture, this story. One of the things I love about Jonah as a book is that Jonah is just like me, and my confidence in, ha- in handling this story with you is that I have a suspicion that Jonah is just like you. We are proud. We are stubborn. We feel we know we feel we know what is best for us. We feel we know what God should do with us and we're pretty sure what God shouldn't be doing with us. Uh, and yet we, we meet the God here not as we want to manage him but the God who by his grace manages us and who continually comes to us in the name of Jesus, claiming his sovereign rights over us and pouring grace into our lives. I want to speak this morning, uh, as we look at chapter 2, under the title of Irresistible Grace, as we explore this living doctrine of grace through the story of Jonah, and ask three questions of you with the text of Jonah in front of us. The first one is this, how low can you go? How low can you go? About 30 years ago, we used to talk about down and outs, didn't we? Uh, Now, perhaps, we we refer to them as rough sleepers or street sleepers. An old-fashioned word, perhaps, is the destitute. People who have really fallen through the cracks in life, the support structures of of friends, jobs, etc., have really given way. We have a number of... uh, Men who just come and go the fringe of our church when they're in a crisis, they want money, they want food, they will come and they will endure my preaching. And uh, then we know where it's going and we help them, we hope, as wisely and well as we can. But you don't need to be on the streets to find yourself in a very low place. In fact, some of the smartest postcodes in southwest London have people in the most desperate situations. I'm a massive believer in pastoral ministry that you never, ever know what's going on behind anybody's front door. I assume that I don't really know what's going on in the lives of my elders. Now, we have great open relationships, but do I really assume that they've shared with me their, their deepest pain, their darkest secrets, the actual rhythms of their lives? Jonah had a great name. A great reputation, a a great anointed ministry, suddenly found his life plunged into absolute turmoil and desperation. And there's a sense in which if you've not yet suffered as a Christian, I just want to have to tell you, it's just a question of time. It is just a question of time. Please, whatever we look at this this we can grab this lesson that God is so good and he's so powerful and he's so loving and he's so wise that, that when you fall into that abyss you don't fall alone and you don't land alone if God's God in Jesus Christ is for you and he by his spirit is with you we've had some dark times <coughs> in our move north but God in his Great assurance has, has never let us fall into that despair. 
though we've been in some dark places, we know he's with us. And sometimes we can't feel that, and we go to the word of God, which transcends and then works into our feelings. That in Christ, God's promises for us all are yes and amen. So where do we find Jonah? He has been swallowed by a huge fish. Chapter 1, verse 17. And he's in there for three days and three nights. I think it's tedious to, uh, to rehearse the various justifying arguments and put out the data as to how this could have happened. Who cares? It happened, we believe, Holy Scripture. And Jonah finds himself in that dark place, joining, actually, a shining constellation of people in Scripture who found their lives entombed and filled with darkness. And you know their names. You know Joseph, sold into slavery, thrown into a dungeon. You know David. Our church has been making our way through in our Bible reading scheme through 1 Samuel, hounded for a dozen years by an increasingly psychotic and demented King Saul. Then later pursued by his own son. And then weeping over the body of his dead son Absalom. Hosea, put through the torture of being married to a sexually promiscuous wife. Jeremiah, thrown into an underground cistern and left for dead. The Apostle Peter, in prison for his faith. The Apostle Paul, beaten, vilified, imprisoned for his faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Led into the darkness of Gethsemane and from there betrayal, arrest, trial, execution. And on the cross, hell. God puts his servants in dark, dark places. Faith is not a fire blanket. Faith is more like a lightning conductor. It attracts suffering. I think I probably started Christian life like many people. Now with Jesus, it's going to be okay. Was I right or was I wrong? I was right. Now with Jesus, it is going to be okay. He will get me to heaven safely. I am Utterly convinced of that. But it's hard on the way, isn't it? And it's dangerous. And it's stressful. And God has a way of bringing us low, of, of humiliating us, of, of stripping us of all our defences, all our carefully crafted self-preservation mechanisms. God is the God of the whale. And God sends the whales. I guess Jonah felt that this whale was there to torment him. Was there to kill him. But of course this whale is, is, is like an ark, isn't he, of, of salvation. He's, he's God's most extraordinary and terrifying rescue ship. We need to... Keep that perspective when suffering comes. We think it's the end. We can't go on. We can't cope. Our faith will never get us through this. It feels like we've been engulfed by a giant slimy fish. But this is God's chosen means of getting Jonah ultimately to heaven. That's a long-term 
venue destination, but short term, getting Jonah to embrace God's grace again and becoming a willing servant of that grace. <coughs> Excuse me. I've got here, I was going to talk about it very briefly. I, I don't like preachers with props, but just, just <laughs> indulge me for 30 seconds. Bring a prop into the pulpit, it just like so you're trying to, looks like you're trying to prop up your ministry. But, but some of you know what this is, it's a hard drive that's got about a dozen years ministry on it. And I know you IT backup guys, you're having kittens, hasn't you heard about iCloud and Dropbox and all, I know who you are by the way you're looking at me with contempt. <laughs> but I'm old school, okay? And uh, that's got about a dozen years of ministry on it. And, uh, and it blew up. So I gave it to a tacky in the church. And he took it away for three weeks, and it came back, and I said, will she live? And he said, it's blown up. Oh. I said, can anybody make it live? No, it's blown up. Mm-hmm. I just, in conversation, shared this with your pastor. He said, I know a man in my church who can make this live. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about this as it's been sitting <laughs> on my desk. I'm going to leave it in a jiffy bag with Andy, and I <laughs> hope she'll live again. This is you, and this is me. We, we are built with potential to know and to relate to God. But we've blown up in our sin. And we cannot fix ourselves. And the great mistake we make as Christian people journeying with Jesus, we, we, we kind of get over the wonder of free saving grace. I, I know the sins that I was saved from, that I wept over as I became a Christian wept over, I was shamed by, I was tormented by. But we forget that too soon, don't we? And then we think God has got a good one on his side. And we, we learn the rhythms and, and the, the unspoken rules of the Christian life and church life and discipleship. Uh, and we think we're pretty good at it. But we're only ever like this broken hard drive. We need grace every moment on our good days where the sun is shining and on our bad days when we're low and when we're in the pit don't forget grace is as real and wonderful today as the first day of your Christian life and remember God loves you no more today than he did when he first saved you because his love is perfect and limitless and nothing we can do can contribute to our salvation What is the most important verse in the Bible? Well, that's a conversation starter. But I want to close down the conversation and say it is Jonah 2, verse 9. I don't have tattoos. I'm middle-aged. I'm absolutely due for a midlife crisis. But um, I like tattoos. of Of all the times a man with tats walks in the room at that moment and he thinks I'm going to diss tattoos I like tattoos the reason I haven't got a tattoo is I can't have a tattoo I'd like but this is a good one so if you're thinking a bit uh, thinking like a bit of midlife ink go for Jonah 2 verse 9 how low can you go you can go nowhere where you don't rediscover afresh with wonder salvation belongs to the Lord salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what God does. That's his business. That's his expertise. And it's nobody's expertise aside from the Lord's. Where are we? How low can you go? Well, 
as low as God wants to take you, to knock the pride, the hypocrisy, the self-sufficiency, the self-centeredness, the willfulness out of your system. God works in downward mobility. We're obsessed, aren't we, with being upwardly mobile. We want more respect, more money, more comfort, more gratification in life. So much of our energies is, is, goes into engineering situations and jobs and careers and relationships and children and parents and friendship and church and ministry to make much of ourselves. We love if Jesus gets the glory, but as long as we do too. Remember what, what got Joe into this mess? The love of himself. And the insistence that his way of viewing the world and his way of viewing God was the only way. Lord, grace to me, grace to the people I like, grace for us, but not grace for anybody else. And Jonah had to learn a lesson of grace. And we hate our times when God takes us low, don't we? But it's so good to be on our faces. And so hard. And what does Jonah do and what should we do? He prays. His first prayer. Do you remember the pagans beat Jonah to it? They, they were praying already. They, they were begging God for mercy. And they were celebrating grace. They had a praise party, I'm sure, on the deck of the ship. And at last, Jonah is praying. Hurrah. So secondly, do you pray by the book? Do you pray by the book? The first recorded prayer, apart from the prayers of the pagan sailors. And, and this book can't say everything, but Jonah, if he is the author, there's no reason to doubt it. You would think if Jonah were praying at some point before, he would have included that. I think that silence is intentional to say, actually, now Jonah got on his knees. And if you're anything like me and anything like Jonah, you will do anything but pray. You will, you will try all sorts of things. You'll, you'll work harder. You'll try harder. You'll even cross your fingers. God often needs to paint us into a corner and get us on our knees and pray. And that's what Jonah is doing here. And he is praying out of a sense of desperation. But he's also praying out of a sense of admiration. He's desperate because he's in the whale, but he's admiring the grace of God, which he knows is working, even in this darkest situation. I think of a friend of mine called Mike. I used to work with him. Mike was from the Welsh Valleys. He was, he was a heavy drinker. He was a single man. He'd, he'd been done for drink driving, but we're going back 20 years, and the rules are slightly more lenient. He didn't lose his licence. Then it happened again, and he went to court. And Mike didn't have a Christian faith, but he had a very, very faithful Christian colleague who lived an exemplary Christian life. And through that complete trauma and stress, Mike became a Christian believer. So that when he received the judge's sentence, was asked if he had anything to say, he did a little speech. Thanking God that he'd taken him into this pit 
stress, anxiety, stripped away all his defences and showed him the wonder of his saving grace in the Lord Jesus. Now, the court didn't expect to hear that that morning, but they got it. <laughs> they got it with fiery Welsh oratory. And a hemming of us could say, I never want to go back there, but I knew Christ either for the first time or in fresh power. So if God does bring me low again, he's always there. Samuel Rutherford, 17th century Scottish Christian, said, when I am in the cellar of affliction, the cellar of suffering, I reach for the wine. Now you might think that's a bit of slightly schmaltzy poetry, but there's truth there. You go in a wine cellar, there's two things. There's damp and there should be wine. Go in my cellar, there's not very much wine and a lot of damp. <laughs> but the cellar of affliction, the hard place is where the comforts of God are. The Apostle Paul, we despaired even of life itself, 2 Corinthians 1. But these <coughs> sufferings happen that we should not rely on ourselves, <coughs> but on God who gives life. From death. Let's then look at this prayer. And as I said, this slightly bewildering, intriguing title, Do You Pray by the Book? That'll become clear in a minute. Jonah is in a mess. Verse 2. In my distress I call to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, or a slightly newer tweaked NIV translation, from deep in the realm of the dead I called for help. Here's the image of a man who has been hurled into the depths and he's sinking down and down and down. This is Jonah's near-death experience. About half a mile from where we are in this room this morning, when I was five, I very nearly drowned. There's a pool half a mile from here. Never been back, don't want to. But I got stuck wrong way up in a rubber ring. And nobody saw me, my little five-year-old arms, thrashing around under the surface, trying to get back up. The thing I can remember about that is after a while just feeling really calm, quite euphoric even, just gazing at, at the reflections at the bottom of the pool. And what was going on there is as the brain is starved of oxygen, it's well known with near drowners, the brain just relaxes, the senses are, are heightened. Then some teenager spotted me and hoiked me out. Well, there's grace, isn't it? And Jonah's saying, I think I had a near death, Lord. Going down and down and down. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, sublime poetry. Seaweed wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. Then you think about the mess we're in. If you go to Ephesians 2, we are dead in transgressions and sins. And if you don't believe at one time you were dead, it might be you've never become a Christian because Jesus Christ makes us alive. He makes us alive because we were dead. He saves us from hell because that was our destination and our just deserts from a holy God. 
And now we are alive in Christ, new people, joined to him in the bond of the Holy Spirit, the treasured children of God, as Jonah was. We were sunk, we were hopeless, we were helpless. And it's in that condition, secondly, we learn that God is in charge. You hurled me into the depths. I'm not going to labour that because that's, that's, that's really Jonah chapter 1, isn't it? You hurled me. Never be scared of God's sovereignty. It is a sweet doctrine to give you assurance that God is in charge of all things. Your waves and breakers swept over me. Nobody else is this. Not the forces of blind chance or an accident God couldn't control. God's waves God's breakers. And then thirdly, Jonah knows that he's powerless to help himself. I've written out my notes, but we've done it, so we're going to fourthly. God is merciful. I called to the Lord and he answered me. And then God, uh, Jonah, as always, turning to the Lord, you listened to my cry. We've not heard Jonah pray, have we? Presumably, as he went down, he's praying. He's not literally opening his mouth because he's swallowed a mouthful of raging seawater. He's opening his heart. Lord, I've been an idiot. I'm in this mess. Lord, save me. And God saves him. This is his praise. He, He longs to be alive. He longs to be with his people I, verse 4, will look again to your holy temple. God, save me, deliver me. Bring me back to my homeland, my people. Bring me into your presence at the temple that I may worship with them. And here's the assurance in verse 6. You, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Well, he hasn't, has he? Because he's in a pit. He's in stomach lining. He's sloshing in in stomach acids. But he's saying, look, I'm as as good as on dry land. Because you and I are in dark, scary, sad, stressful situations. And yet in Christ, we're as good as in heaven, aren't we? We are so secure in God's covenant love in the Lord Jesus. It's as if we've got there already. How else do you make sense? Is it, let's turn there. Is it Colossians 3 or Colossians 4? Turn forward into the New Testament, please. And let's just check this. What is a, wh- where are we in Christ, according to the Apostle Paul? Chapter 3 and verse 1 of Colossians. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not unearthly things. Why? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see the force that's coming through? It's so certain. There's no, there's no possibility that we can be lost from God's love in Christ. Now I live and minister in a town where there are, there are three big, exuberant, forceful ministries let the reader understand the kind of churches that I work amongst two of them would absolutely deny that if we're in Christ we are safe now and for all eternity and one of them isn't quite sure where they stand on the issue there is no debate in scripture if you put your faith in Christ 
And your true believing is sealed with the Spirit for heaven. Now there's a gospel imperative that we must live in Christ, continue in that faith. But the mark of our being in Christ is ongoing obedience. So some of us, we've done wicked, awful things which have shaken our assurance of God's love. But if we go back to them, fixate on them, pick at them like a scab, we will destroy the sense of assurance God wants us to have today. We'll be looking at ourselves, obsessing about, well, is my faith good enough? Have I repented enough about that? <clears throat> and we will waste a lot of spiritual energy. One of the most sincere Christians that I pastored in Chiswick was a young mum who obsessed over whether she was a Christian. And I just had to say to her again and again, look at your faith today. Who are you trusting today? Where is the focus of your faith? Are you relying on God's grace or your effort? You just need to hear that again and again. And I do. And you do. And you could say, Jonah, you're being an idiot. You know how much you've sinned against God. And here you go, praying to God, you should be on your face, repenting, not daring to speak to God. But he does dare, and we dare, and we dare because of grace. God in his love finds us and just chooses to love us. There's a great statement. I think it's a Puritan statement. It's great marriage advice. Where the Puritan said of a potential husband or wife, choose your love and love your choice. Isn't that good? You husbands or wives or those thinking about married life, choose your love. Love your choice. Why do our hearts connect with that? Why do they swell and think, that is true, that is good, that is beautiful? Because of the gospel. Because God in Christ has chosen his love, his church. And he's choosing to love his church. Which includes Jonah. With his Jonah heart. And includes you with your heart and me. With my heart and my hypocrisy. And my self-centeredness. I'm loved because of Jesus. And I'm so very, very safe. And so are you. God is merciful. You answered me. You listened to my cry. And Jonah is excited. He knows that prayer works. The undeserving man with his undeserving prayer has been grabbed by the whale's mouth of God's grace. And saved and protected. Now I said praying by the book. And I won't spend too long on this. But I just want you to appreciate. That if some of these phrases look familiar. It's because you read them. Again and again and again in the course of any one year. Jonah has been mining the book of Psalms. And do you know what he's, he's found in the book of Psalms? At least ten phrases in this short prayer. Which are the prayers a scripture. So that casts some light on this strange question, do you pray by the book? Jonah does. He knows the word of God, so that on happy days and wretched days, he can speak the word of God back to God in prayer. And God loves to hear 
his own writing. God loves to hear the prayers and desires which he's caused to be set down in scripture, taken up and made the prayers and desires of his people. So are we getting in the word, not as an academic exercise, but as fuel and incentive, and even the very words of our prayers? That is what Jonah does. So do you pray by the book? Do you read the Bible because you need the Bible? And do you pray because you need to pray? Or is it our default setting? As kind of conscientious performing people, it's the kind of thing Christians do. So we better read the Bible, or we better pray. No, there's levels of need here which our Holy Spirit needs to teach us. We need God's word because it's food, it's drink, and we need to pray because it's a communication lifeline. I have one and almost only one measuring stick that I use to determine my state of spiritual health. I could look at my tendency to complain as one measuring stick. I could look at all sorts of other things, but, but there's one which works for me, which is Am I praying? Am I praying at all? Or am I a Jonah 1 pastor who does everything but pray? And when I'm praying, am I taking time to pray? Am I searching the scriptures to pray? Is my prayer filled by worship, praise, thankfulness, and intercession, asking God? Do I resent the time spent in my busy life given to prayer? Do I squeeze out prayer? And here's the test. If I get an extra hour, an extra day, a fortnight's annual leave in the summer together, will I take some time to pray? How are you doing? What is a measuring stick for you of your spiritual health and integrity of your Christian life? It may be many things. But I bet you it's quite possibly prayer. How's your praying? Are you going to scripture looking for incentive to pray? And direction as you pray? Could you go to the Psalms saying, right, I am not going to leave this Psalm until I've prayed this Psalm meaningfully and personally. When I need spiritual refreshment, I need time, I need quiet, I need my Bible, I need a Christian book, I need a pen and paper. And one of the most profitable things I do, and I'm, I'm seeking to re-enter spiritual reality rather than just being a religious pastor, I make two lists. I list all the goodness of God, all the ways I can think in which God has been good to me, past and present. And then I list all of my sins my failures and my hypocrisy and I dwell in each then I certainly tear up one column throw it away and I feel for me if given time enough time enough quiet to do that just entering again spiritual reality now there is something here which I do want to flag we're going to our, our third question and wrap things up I think even here even in this kind of confessional prayer 
And we're going to see this tomorrow morning, God willing. Jonah hasn't yet seen or got to the bottom of his heart. There's more layers of, of the deceitfulness of sin, because sin is the great deceiver, isn't it? There's more layers of the deceitfulness of sin, which Jonah hasn't seen through yet and explored. And, and it's going to need the grace of God to do more work to expose that. But God has got Jonah in a good place where he's confessing his weakness and he's celebrating. Let me use this word. He's celebrating the gospel. Wouldn't it be good for you to take some time this weekend to put yourself in a place where you are confessing your sins and celebrating the gospel? Third final question. What hope do you have in darkness? Jonah was cold, blind, scared, hungry, imprisoned. And we do have those experiences. I love the phrase of John Piper. John Piper was once in, uh, in a huge typhoon. Talks about the experience of just seeing houses, buildings, cars ripped apart. Rolling, rolling down the street. And he says, when you're in a storm, you have a choice. You can either worship God, or you can curse him. That's just true, isn't it? When you're in a storm, you have two choices. You can either worship God, or you can curse him. Now, of course, you know, you could, you could go to, you say, cursing? I would never curse God. Remember how Job's wife ha has a one-line walk-on part, where she basically says to Job, look, man up, Job, with all these sufferings, all this loss, just curse God. That's the manly thing to do in the face of suffering. And that's what the pagan world says, curse God, rage at him. And then Job gives her this put down, I don't encourage you men to speak to your wives like this. Woman, you're speaking like a fool. But he had a point, didn't he, husbands? He had a point. Because he said, should we not accept from God's hand both good and evil, what we love and what we, 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 we loathe and we're terrified by and devastated by, because God is a giver of all things and they're all for our good. Romans 8, 28 and 29, to make us more like Jesus. The, uh, the obedient son who accepted good and evil ill from the wise loving hands of his father but I think we curse God by being cold towards God we curse God by avoiding God and let's not kid ourselves churches are a place you can avoid God you can be the busiest person at CCE and you know you're not you know you're not in your Bible. You know this exhausting round of home groups and Sunday worship and ministry this and training that. It's just a hamster wheel. And your heart has long gone out of it. And that coldness is really, really dangerous. So we can be distant and cold from God in ministry. Jonah was. You see, in that call in, in 1 verse 2, Jonah had already checked out. 
He would do what God wanted and he enjoyed and suited him. But when a hard call comes, God knows if your heart is worshipping him. If you're worshipping God, God can use you for anything. And he will. But if your heart is cold and closed, God's got a Jonah on his hands, hasn't he? And he needs to break in again. See, there's a great darkness in, in the whale's belly, but the darkness was already in Jonah's heart. And it may be in our hearts too. And our hope when we realise our hearts are dark, or our hope when life is dark, is, is Jesus. Is the man who stands in the boat when the disciples are terrified and they are subtly, politely cursing him. Master, don't you care if we drown? And he speaks to the wind and the waves in front of the terrified fisherman and says, peace, be still. And that is their grace, isn't it? And as the line of the old hymn says, the winds and waves still know his voice and still submit to him. See, the Lord of this storm is Jesus. And the Lord of this whale is Jesus. And the Lord of Jonah's heart is Jesus. And the Lord of our storms is Jesus. The Lord of the hard things that come upon us is Jesus. And the Lord of our hearts, you getting it? It's Jesus. And we don't need to prepare long speeches before him. We don't need to do acts of great contrition and self-loathing. We just need to go and say, Lord, I have been cold. I have been cruel. I have made much of myself and very little of you. I have discovered what you've done all along. I'm a wretched sinner. Lord, have mercy upon me. And then there is a song in your heart. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He loves me. He gave himself for me. He is doing all things well to take me safely to heaven. He must have the glory. And he will have the glory. The Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And as we'll think about tomorrow morning, he walks to a people needing grace as the resurrection man who is experiencing grace and is called to minister out of his experience of the grace he's received. May it be so for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your grace cannot be resisted. It is fabulous. You show the power of your love. Lord, would you deal with us in all the fun and the right physical, mental rest we're seeking this weekend? Would you do us good? Would you continue to draw close to us? Would you just make the light of your face shine upon us in Christ? That you may turn our attention, turn our hearts, and remake our wills to be people of integrity, repentance, praise and confidence that will be to the glory of Jesus and the good of our souls. Amen. Amen. Amen.